had the families and the dogs and the kids and everybody in balloons and everybody gets off the airplane and, and greets their loved ones. And uh, I just got off the airplane, right? Walked through and uh, I had to go outside and bring my bags and again, pretend like I just had somebody I knew pick me up. When in fact it was, you know, my significant other. First command, simply must arm our airmen to outthink, outperform, outpartner, outinnovate any potential adversary. The first command, the Air Force starts here. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Air Force Starts Here podcast. My name is Miriam Thurber, and I'm honored to welcome you to this special episode celebrating Pride Month. Recently, Lieutenant General Brad Webb, the Commander of Air Education and Training Command, sat down with Brigadier General Brenda Cartier, who's the incoming AATC Director of Operations, and they talked about our LGBTQI plus community here within the Air Force. They did this live on Facebook, but we wanted to bring this important conversation here to the Air Force Starts Here podcast as well, because our people are our most valuable resource. You're the foundation of everything that we do, which means having conversations that empower all of our big A airmen is so important. Obviously, this is just the audio track, but if you want to watch the video of this real talk, check out our Facebook page at Air Education and Training Command. Well, without further ado, it is my honor to introduce Lieutenant General Brad Webb and Brigadier General Brenda Cartier. Just remember the charge that the Chief gave us a year ago, which is we need to own this DNI situation. We need to engage in small groups, create uh, safe space, and listen or seek to understand. The other thing that I think uh, is worthy of a few minutes of discussion are these things that we call BOG, or Barrier Analysis Working Groups. We've had several uh, in the past, but they've actually been evolving over time. And really uh, quickly, what I'd like to do is kind of articulate the BOGs that uh, have been established uh, inside our Air Force. There's BEST, which is the Black Employment uh, Strategy Team, DAT, which which is the Disability Action Team, HEAT, which is the Hispanic Empowerment Action Team, INET, which is Indigenous Nations Equality Team, PACT, which is the Pacific Islander Asian American Community Team, WIT, uh, Women's Initiatives Team, uh, and lastly, and really we're doing this in honor of uh, Pride Month here in June, LIT, uh, which is the LGBTQ plus initiative team. So today, that's going to be the topic of this Real Talk, and, uh, and Brenda, you and I had an excellent uh, back and forth re- with respect to the acronym LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, my uh, really uninformed uh, perspective was, and in fact, I think I said, hey, Brenda, there's enough letters there now that, you know, we, we should probably need to uh, spell out something so it's a little bit easier to remember. But your response was actually very insightful. Would you mind sharing that with us? Thanks. Uh, yes, sir. I would love to share this with you. Uh, and a lot, of, I get that question a lot. What are all, what are all the letters and why so many? Um, I can boil it down uh, to one thing, really. It's the straight and non-straight or heterosexual and non-heterosexual communities and how not just airmen, but how society and people within society define sex and gender. And what we've what we are seeing as our society evolves and people are able to talk more about themselves and their families and how they live their lives and um, create family and community is that there's a whole spectrum of how people define themselves and others in terms of sex and gender. So 
the the letters actually are uh, a celebration in a way of all of the diverse communities within the non-straight communities. And so lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and uh, queer, and plus is uh, there's intersex, there's asexual, there's pansexual. I mean, there are just any number of ways that folks define themselves uh, and, and live their lives to the fullest. I like the plus because it says that it's not limiting. There, there can be more as we all decide how we want to define ourselves. Um, the interesting letter is also the Q, yeah. right? Queer. Yeah. And in the past, as we all know, queer was a derogatory term. Mm. And the LGBTQ community over the past few years has decided to take that term back and own it and turn it into something that's celebrated and something that's used um, as a term to open up an entire um, uh, culture. You do have quite a bit of uh, uh, an agenda or uh, initiatives uh, within the lit mm -hmm. uh, portfolio. Could you uh, describe some of those for us? Mm -hmm. But if I can, kind of, I'll just go backwards a little bit and, and talk about some of the initiatives or examples of, okay, why did lit choose these as, yeah. as some of their um, uh, things that they're working on. <clears throat> the medical one, the, that also ties in with the transgender airmen and what our transgender airmen are, are going through in terms of care to medical um, resources. Um, and in some cases, transgender airmen can still be turned down by medical providers. So imagine just trying to get the care that you would normally get um, and being told, no, we won't see you. So we're looking at that as one of the transgender medical initiatives. The other thing that's a big deal is uh, access to reproductive support. So if you want to have a family and you're going to use um, reproductive support, because if you're in a same-sex marriage, then you do in vitro fertilization or you do surrogacy or something along those lines. And um, it's, it's interesting because say you have a same-sex female couple and they want to have children. Well, lots of couples do um, you know, in vitro fertilization or, or uh, methods that can get, um, get you on your road to having a, a family. And in the case of a same-sex female couple, if they were to access care to go into the mil military system and say, okay, we want to have a baby. Okay, well, which one of you is going to carry the baby? Okay, so this, this gal is going to be the one who will have the pregnancy and carry the baby. Fine, the military system knows how to recognize her and put her through mm -hmm. the care that she needs. But the other partner, the other female, uh, the military, um, and we're, we're working on this, didn't have language for that or a way to identify what mm -hmm. that other spouse is. And um, so there have been examples in the past where the military has said, well, we don't have a way to categorize you, so we're going to just consider you the sterile male. And... So uh, it's like, and she's all, well, um, okay. I mean, how does that work, right? And it gets, it gets even more compl complex. When you go through these processes as the female sterile male, you still get asked questions on a lot of forms about, um, you know, did you have these tests and how did they come back? And it's like, no, I didn't, you know, didn't have the test because there's no reason to have a test. Right. So it just gets really kind of convoluted. Um, 
the other thing that's interesting uh, on the medical side too is when you ask a same-sex couple and you go in for your PHA or something and they ask you, um, what are your forms of birth control? And there, there isn't one on the form. So uh, that says, ah, uh, same-sex marriage. So there's a lot of um, heteronormative language that's used or forms or just updating for options yeah. on the medical side uh, uh, as one example. Um, in the education side, this is talking about giving resources and language to our airmen, especially to our leaders, about how to talk about it. What, mm -hmm. is, what does the acronym mean? And mm -hmm. how do the individual parts of that acronym, where do they come together? Where do they diverge? And how can leaders have, be equipped with a language that helps them talk to their airmen? And um, some examples of that are, for instance, when the... Uh, Airman and Family Readiness hold, holds a class. They may say, you know, daddy and daughter class. And if you're in a same-sex female couple, well, there, there's no you in that phrase. Or, you know, mommy and preschoolers. And it's okay. It's not to say to get rid of that language. Mm -hmm. It's to look at ways to have inclusive language that doesn't make folks who don't fit that particular um, <clears throat> category feel okay. I remember my spouse, uh, Anne, and I, we were a wing command couple at, at uh, Kirtland, and there was a marriage retreat. It, that's great. Let, you know, let's go do a marriage retreat. Well, we picked up the pamphlet, and we looked at it. It was uh, straight couples, but we also noticed it was straight white couples. There, there were no biracial, multiracial couples. There were you know, no same-sex couples, and it's not that they were trying to um, sometimes, and sometimes these are called kind of microaggressions in a way, or um, where you're trying to do something meaningful, but the language or the way you present it just falls flat. Yeah. And so we're trying to identify those yeah. and, and bring those forward. So um, you have an agenda. I mean, it's a healthy initiative. It is. A batch of initiatives. It is. For sure. It's to make sure that our airmen are, are doing well. So um, the last thing I want to talk about real quick on this is uh, also talking with the Office of General Counsel on senior leader security because the LGBTQ plus community, as everybody's aware of, uh, off, is often the target of harassment, mm. um, hate, and threats. So we're working to try to identify ways that we can look at who is, who is threatening, mm. what's going on with that, and then mitigate it and address it. So, Brenda, if we, if we could shift gears uh, yeah. just a little bit, uh, you, you and I have known each other literally decades, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, suffice to say our uh, experiences in the military uh, probably, uh, even though we're both special operators uh, by uh, trade, uh, probably couldn't be more disparate. Uh, I was wondering if you would share with us kind of your journey, if you would. Yes, sir, I will. Um, and most of my journey was under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it's been uh, an interesting journey because I came in at the time when women in combat, uh, that was being overturned and women were allowed to come in combat. Um, and also Don't, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was in, in place or put in place and then was in place for years. And so um, I, when I first uh, you know, came into the Air Force, um, kind of being here as a special operator and talking about my spouse, my wife, Ann Harrington, would have been impossible. Uh, so being here is, um, it's really special. So thank you for this opportunity to talk about this. 
um, in my early years under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and I know I speak for a lot of my friends when I talk about this. Um, by the way, we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the repeal in 2011. Uh, we lived really compartmented lives because Don't Ask, Don't Tell was an interesting policy in that it allowed you to be in, but you just couldn't say anything. And people think, well, you just couldn't say you were gay oh, or lesbian or bi. I, I get that. But that comes with a whole lot of um, difficulties and challenges uh, that people don't even realize. Um, and don't, you know, so don't ask, don't tell. So our friends couldn't ask and we couldn't tell. The pro, well, there's multiple problems with it, but it just required you to live this super compartmented life where I and my friends had to come to work every day and do the mission and support the mission that we love without ever saying anything about our family, our partner, or our significant others. And I tell my friends who did not live under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, um, try going through 20 hours without mentioning anything that indicates that you have a family uh, or that you uh, are married or any of that. Just try it for 20 hours or try it for 20 days. So we did it for 20, almost 20 years. Mm. We had to live in a way that we were allowed to show up every day and be a part of the Air Force family, but not really have a family. And those compartments were really difficult. And things as simple as deployments, which as you know, we deployed a lot. And when you deploy, usually your family drives you up to the squadron, drops you off, you grab your A bags and everything, and you go into the squadron and the family, families come in and you kind of spend those last moments together before you jump on the rotator and go down range. Um, well, I could never do that. And so my partner would drive me, you know, or it's always zero dark or, or, or zero dark uh, 30 in the morning. So drive up to the squadron and I would just get out of the car and grab my bags, you know, no hugs, no nothing, just, okay, see ya, kind of waving as if I had taken an Uber, uh, which didn't exist at the time, but um, it was like that. And then I'd go into the squadron and I'd be around everybody else and try to, you know, kind of act like I'm cool, you know, everything's good to go. Uh, and then you get on the rotator and you go. And then when you're downrange, everybody else, if something were to have happened to you, they would have called Miss Donna. And if, um, you know, the worst happened to you, then somebody would have shown up, a team in, in service dress, and they would have provided all the support. Well, that wasn't the case for us uh, in our community. Um, we just had to hope that nothing happened. Um, and if something did, that somehow our friends who knew in the squadron would be able to go um, handle things the best they could. Uh, but that was really scary living like that. And then on the return side of yeah. deployments, the rotator pulls up. And as you know, we had Operation Homecoming every month. The rotator would come in and he had the families and the dogs and the kids and everybody in balloons and everybody gets off the airplane and, and greets their loved ones. And uh, I just got off the airplane, right? Walked through and I mean, I was happy to see people, but uh, I had to go outside and bring my bags and kind of load them in a car and, again, pretend like I just had somebody I knew pick me up, when, in fact, it was, you know, my significant other. So, uh, but as a squadron commander, I really loved that the Air Force did all that, and so I supported it, and I went to them, and I wanted to support our families like that. So I, I kind of lived this, this dual life. Um, the other thing that was interesting about living other, under Don't Ask, Don't Tell is it created this artificial vulnerability in terms of security clearances. Mm. Because if 
we have this artificial requirement or, or, or um, uh, restriction on being uh, gay in the military because we decide it, that, then there was always the issue of, well, you could be blackmailed if, if anybody finds out you're gay. Well, it's like, why are we imposing that on ourselves? Um, and so we, once Don't Ask, Don't Tell was lifted, it was like, okay, yay, that was easy. We got rid of that security vulnerability literally for no reason. Uh, that was in place. Uh, the other thing, too, is I love the Air Force. I love AFSAC. I love the mission. But I could not be fully present. I wanted to. I gave everything I could. But it was, you know, half of myself because I always had half of myself tied behind my back because it was that compartment of who my family was and yeah. what was important to me outside of that. And so there was just, and I know our other airmen were very restricted by that as well, our other um, LGBTQ plus airmen. So uh, let's, if you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit about the Air Force Corps values. Okay. And Air Force core values were something that I thought about a lot, and I was in the Air Force when, when they were um, created. And you, know, you look at service before self, excellence in all we do, uh, and integrity. And service before self, that is something that I will tell you that uh, your LGBTQ members who were serving under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and today, but really under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, they were all about service before self. Um, I think... Um, the Secretary of Defense a couple weeks ago said it really well in his DOD pride speech. Uh, he said, they fought for our country even when our country wouldn't fight for them. And we put everything we love and know aside uh, to continue fighting uh, to, for our country. So service before self is something I, I really relate to. Mm -hmm. um, excellence in all we do. And this is kind of a one that my friends and I in the LGBTQ plus community kind of joke about because we wanted, we wanted to be in so bad that we gave everything we had to it. And we would joke that you could almost tell who was uh, in the LGBTQ plus community because they'd have all these awards uh, when you talk about excellence in all you do, uh, including one of my friends who's a retired chief. And for the 30 years that she was in, she had a quarterly or yearly award every year that she served. And part of that was wanting to be excellent and wanting to serve, but part of it was also wanting to be above reproach. So that if somebody th thought, well, I don't really like you, so I'm going to report you uh, to OSI, that you could find yourself in a, in a situation uh, that could ru ruin your career. And so you wanted to be that airman that your commanders and your leadership said, you know what, she's so awesome, he's so awesome, like, we're just going to keep going from yeah. here. And, uh, and so that was, you know, that was something that was always <laughs> present for us. And then... You know, integrity, I, I always had to live under don't ask, don't tell with the, nobody could ask me, but people in the no course of a normal conversation talk about family. We talk about in the Air Force all the time, which is great. You know, are you married? Do you have kids? And so sometimes people would just say, oh, you're, oh, you're not married yet. Um, are you going to be? Or something very yeah. innocent like that. Yeah. And I would say to them, if I meet the man who is my match, I will marry him. And I, knowing that was an infinitesimally small chance, probably, um, but I, you know, I suppose it would have been true too. So that's that's kind of how I, I handled that. But living under Don't Ask Don't Tell was very confusing. The other thing it was confusing for was not just the lesbian, gay, bi members. It was also everybody like you and our other airmen who knew us. So we had to be really careful because we never wanted to put our friends and our coworkers in a bind. Yeah. So. 
those of us who knew about us also had to kind of keep it hidden. So they had to, and if um, you, if we wanted to share ourselves authentically with our coworkers, now we're putting them in a position mm -hmm. of having to hold, hold that in case something were to come up in an investigation or whatever. It really just put everybody in this strange bind. Yeah. So when it was repealed, that was, that was a fantastic. Yeah. Before, uh, before we uh, shift yes, to that, I, I just want to comment on the core values because I, I love the way you laid that out. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe one more acronym uh, that we should uh, go through, DOMA. DOMA. Can you explain that uh, to our, us yeah. and our audience? Yes, sir. So DOMA was passed in the 1990s, Defense of Marriage Act, and it uh, stated that marriage would be recognized only between one man and one woman. In 2013, the Supreme Court took a case called Windsor versus U.S., and this was actually a case about taxes, uh, but it ended up implementing uh, the um, policies that we have today in the federal government with regard to recognizing marriage. And so by overturning the Defense of Marriage Act, they recognized that the federal government would recognize same-sex marriages. I've heard you state earlier, you know, hey, okay, there's been some repeals of these acts and uh, so forth, but that didn't just say, hey, gay and lesbian, transgender, et cetera, you're free to join the military. They've always been in the military. Absolutely, uh, sir. Yes. Right? I mean, I don't, don't yes. let me uh, steal your words on that, but, uh, you know, I think no. from that standpoint, it's... Uh, 100%. Yeah. Always been. We've always been in the military, and... That is, so it's not that suddenly the doors were open and all the LGBTQ plus people rushed in and diluted the military. We just, like I said, we just showed up to work again on <laughs> September 20, 2011 and kept doing our thing. Uh, but we could do it even better and just feel better. Well, Brenda, thanks. Uh, sure. that, uh, I know that that uh, does a lot uh, to digest hist historical-wise. Mm -hmm. But the fact, the point is, you've been an airman, a serving... <laughs> Airmen through all of this uh, historical time frame. Yes, sir. Uh, and when we, you know, we kind of stated up front the initiatives that LIT has is underway, which is pretty healthy, mm -hmm. uh, just from the small list of that mm -hmm. you articulated. There's, there's been a lot. So I guess really the point is there's been a lot of ground covered mm -hmm. and a lot of positive ground, uh, but, but this is maybe only the end. It's not the end. It maybe is the end of the beginning. <laughs> Listener, thank you again for joining us today. We hope that you were encouraged and that you were challenged to use more inclusive language and to look out for your fellow airmen. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and catch up on the latest news from around the command at aetc.af.mil. Higher AETC Public Affairs team, thank you for joining us. And again, I'm Miriam Ferber, and I'll see you next time on the Air Force Starts Here podcast.